Our scripture reading tonight will be from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In the red pew, Bibles in the pew in front of you, that's page 980. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, page 980. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about love, especially on Sunday nights. That's been our series. The properties, the qualities, the characteristics of what love really is. This is the last lesson in that particular series. We've got a couple of other series coming up in the future. You'll be hearing more about that. But we need to really, as God's people, stop and ask ourselves the question, would people say that I am a loving person? Would people say that love is what I'm really all about? Because when you read the scriptures, you cannot escape the fact that while God's people are to be all about truth and all about standing for what's right, God's people are also known by their love. Have to be. As you read through the passages of the New Testament and you think about what it teaches concerning love, you'll notice this. The Bible indicates that love is excellent. It is the more excellent way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31. The Bible indicates that love is not only the more excellent way, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. If God is really having his way with me, love is one of the evidences that that's true. If God's really having his way in my life, if he's doing what he wants in my life, then love is the fruit that's produced by that. The Bible indicates that love is a mark of discipleship. By this, Jesus said, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You know, we ought to think about that as God's people, as the church sometimes. We ought to think about the fact that love is a means by which the world can know who are truly disciples of Jesus Christ, by the way that we care for each other, the way that we love each other. The scripture says that love is a prerequisite for our faith. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 6, but a faith that works through love. You think about that. He says that the faith that I have in Jesus Christ, that the faith that I have in the Bible and what it teaches, that it's to work, it's to be put into action through love. If my faith is working through anything other than love, it's not pleasing to God. It's a prerequisite. I do what I do as a Christian because I love. I act out of faith because of love. Love is to be the lifestyle of a Christian. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. The scripture indicates that we are to walk in love. Everything about us demonstrates that caring for people, loving our neighbor, loving people, loving God. It's what we're all about. You can't miss this as you read through the pages of Scripture. This is, you know, there are some things, some doctrines, some ideas that are really, really big doctrines and ideas in Scripture. 
You can't escape the idea that love really is one of the major big doctrines in all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest command out of all that you read in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi? What's the greatest command? Jesus said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And Jesus said, there's a second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love is the greatest command. Love God love your neighbor as yourself. Love itself is an attribute of God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that God is love. And so I ask again this evening, if somebody were to assess your life, if somebody were to examine the way that you've been living for the last year, if they were to examine your relationships and examine the interactions that you have with people, your interactions with God himself. Could it be said of you that love is what you're all about? We need to think about that question. We need to make appropriate changes and repentance. This evening, I want us to spend just a few minutes thinking about the idea that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, the Apostle Paul, explaining some of the characteristics, the attributes of love, says this. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You know, there's a lot. We we read that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, 4 through 8. We read those verses at weddings and at, at appropriate occasions when Two people are in love with each other. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't behave rudely. We read those words, but we need to stop and think about what they mean. What does it mean when Paul says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth? What does that mean? If I'm going to really love and care for somebody, if I'm going to really show the kind of love that God shows, if that's going to characterize my life, What does it look like that love does not rejoice in iniquity? By the way, that word iniquity, it means sin. It means that which is unclean. It means that which is improper, that which is defiled, that which God says is wrong. Love doesn't rejoice in that, but rather love rejoices in truth. There is such a thing as truth. God's word is truth, John 17, verse 17. And so love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it does rejoice in the truth. Three thoughts to carry with you this week as we think about love not rejoicing in iniquity, but rejoicing in truth. Thought number one is this. If I really love somebody, if I genuinely am concerned about them, I will be cautious not to celebrate sinful choices. If I really care about somebody, I've got to be cautious. If I really love them, I've got to be cautious not to celebrate, not to encourage, not to give affirmation to that which God says is wrong, is sinful. We need to think about this aspect of love. Open your Bibles to a couple of passages with me. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. The prophet Isaiah was preaching to people who just had everything in their lives mixed up. 
and he was trying to get them to think about the implications of what they were doing. And here's what he says in one of his sermons to the people that were living wicked lives, compromised lives. In Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Isaiah writes this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I want you to notice something about that verse. He's not saying that these people necessarily are practicing evil. What they're doing, if you watch very carefully in the verse, they are just calling that which is evil good. They are calling that which is good evil. And by what they're saying, they're giving approval to things that God says are wrong, are sinful. It's not loving to do that. It's not right to do that. Jeremiah speaks of much the same kind of situation. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12, he preaches to people and he says, you people are so mired in sin and you've been celebrating it so long that you have forgotten how to blush. You know, sometimes when something offends us or something is really, it, it cuts at our conscience, I, I think this is wrong and I, and, and I know that I shouldn't be involved in this. You can kind of feel the blood rushing to your face, you know, when, when this comes up. Jeremiah said, that's not even happening with you anymore. You don't even know how to blush anymore because you've been practicing and celebrating and encouraging sin so long. It doesn't even phase you. It doesn't even change you. I'll be cautious if I love people not to celebrate their sinful choices. Turning your Bibles to Romans 1, verse 32. Romans chapter 1 is a litany of a number of things that were evident in the life of Gentiles. They were just living lives, Paul says, that, that, were, that were rank and sinful and, and immoral. And, and Paul lists a number of the things that they were doing. And then when he gets to the end of that list in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, here's what he says. He says, people who know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do these unrighteous, ungodly things, but watch the end of the verse, but they also approve of those who practice them. So it's not just that the people are practicing things that are immoral. Paul says, the apostle Paul is writing, and he says, it's wrong to even approve of those things that are immoral, that are wrong, that are unrighteous. We need to think as God's people about what we're giving our approval to, what we're celebrating. There are a lot of requests that we get. There are a lot of people in our lives, you know what I'm talking about, who want us to say, that's great that you're doing that. That's great that you're making that decision. If I really love somebody, I need to think about this. Ephesians 5 verse 11 tells me not to have fellowship, not to have participation with what the Bible calls the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't have fellowship with those things. We as God's people need to think about sin. And I'll tell you why that's true. If I really love somebody, what does sin do to people? I mean, really. 
there's pleasure in sin for a season. The reason why people sin is because sin looks like the right thing to do. It looks like a good opportunity. It looks like it's going to be enjoyable. It looks like it's going to be pleasurable. And so the reason why people sin is because they're looking for that joy, that pleasure that sin promises. But what does sin really do to people? Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and does what? loses his own soul. You want to know what sin does? Sin ruins and devastates people's lives and ultimately it devastates and ruins their future. If I really love somebody, I've got to have that view of sin. I've got to have that view of what it does to people because that's God's view. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. I have to be, as God's person, I have to be careful that I don't approve or celebrate that which is sinful. Not if I love people, not if I care about their souls. Second, as we think about what love does, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in the truth. If that's true, then I'm gonna be honest with people. You know, it's fashionable to really care about people's feelings and to maybe not tell all the truth, maybe twist the truth just a little bit. But if I really care about people and if I really want to love them, I'm going to have to be honest because love rejoices in the truth. Love loves it when truth is a part of and the foundation of a relationship. Love looks for those things. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus promised people that if they abide in his word, they are his disciples indeed. And he says in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Truth has benefits. And one of the benefits of truth is that it frees us. It allows us to live in the way that God always intended for us to live. That's what truth does. In Matthew 5, verse 37, Jesus told his disciples, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, remember? And what he's getting at in that passage is this. You don't need to use a bunch of deceit and a bunch of vows that you may or may not keep in order to try to impress people with how committed you are to their cause. Jesus says, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. Be dependable because that's how love works. If God says he's going to do something, you can depend that he's going to fulfill his word. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, because you love people. In Luke chapter 20, verse 20, there were people who came to Jesus and they asked him some questions. And you probably remember this on a number of occasions in Jesus' life. The Bible tells us there in Luke 20, verse 20, that they weren't asking because they really wanted the answer to the question. They were asking because they wanted to catch Jesus in his words. They're not asking sincerely. So my question is this, are they asking because they love Jesus and because they love the truth? And quite the opposite. We need to make sure that we are dependable, that we're sincere in our interactions with others. In Acts 24, verse 16, the apostle Paul said, I've always striven I've always tried to live with a clear conscience before God. You want to know why he did that? Because that's what love does. Love does not manipulate. It is not deceitful. Love tells the truth. Love is dependable. Love does what it says. 
I would say this though as well. We need to think about something. In Galatians 5 verse 22, the Bible indicates that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Sometimes just because we know something that's true doesn't mean that we have to tell people. Just because I have information that I'm sure is true and maybe it's information about you or maybe it's information about your life, just because I have information does not mean that I have to say everything that's true. God's people need to be kind and thoughtful and gentle, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Considering others and doing unto them as we'd have them do unto us, Matthew 7, verse 12. Consider this. Jesus knew the truth about Judas, but it wasn't until the Last Supper that the rest of the disciples knew. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? Did Jesus know the truth? Yeah. Did he know what, what was going on in Judas's heart early on? Yeah. John 6 mentions that. But then when you get to the Last Supper, Lord, who is it? Just because you know something to be true doesn't mean that you have to say everything that you know. Love does that. Next, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in the truth. If that's true, in loving people, then I will rejoice to see the grace of God in their lives. I believe with all my heart that God cares about us, that he's working in this world to bring about his will, to advance his kingdom. And I believe that his grace is evident all around us. And I believe that we ought to, if we really rejoice in the truth, we ought to rejoice to see the grace of God at work. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, open your Bibles there. The Bible says that there were some strange things happening in Antioch. And the church of Jerusalem got wind of this. They were baptizing Gentiles. And the Bible says that the church of Jerusalem sent some messengers, or they sent someone that they knew they could trust, they knew was dependable. They sent Barnabas. And Barnabas was going to this congregation to find out what was happening. Is this really in line with what Scripture teaches and what the Holy Spirit wants? And in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible says this. When Barnabas came to Antioch and had, watch this, seen the grace of God, he was glad. You know why Barnabas was glad? Because he loved God and he loved people and he cared about souls. We need more people like that in the Lord's church today that love God, that care about God's grace, and that are glad to see it. They're glad when something that honors God is happening. And so Barnabas was glad, and he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Are you glad to see the grace of God in people's lives? Some things to think about. Luke 15, 22 through 32, you remember the older brother? His younger brother went to the far country and he came back and told his father he was sorry and his father killed the fatted calf and brought a robe and a ring and put it on his son's hand and put it on him and they had a feast and they celebrated and they made merry and the Bible says the older brother, he wasn't happy about what was taking place. Do I rejoice when the lost come home, when that which is lost is found? Does that thrill your heart? Does it thrill your soul? It's about loving people. It's about love. Secondly, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said the purpose of the church, listen to this, the purpose and the mission statement for God's people is to make disciples 
and to help those disciples to mature. Rinse and repeat. Make disciples, help those disciples to grow up, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Do you rejoice when you see somebody genuinely following the Lord? Do you rejoice to see discipleship? That person's becoming more like Jesus. They're doing something that's difficult. They're doing something that's tough, but it glorifies God and it helps them to look more like the Savior. And I'm glad to see that. That's what love does. Do I rejoice in the very presence of God? Psalm 16, verse 11. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, O God, is the fullness of joy. When we gather for worship, when we worship privately, is it a joy to come into the very presence of God? Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the God who cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Love rejoices to be in the presence of the God who cares about us and loves us. Could it really be said of you? Could it be said of me? Love is what you're all about. Demonstrating the kind of love that we read about in the New Testament, that's what you're really all about. I'll tell you this. Jesus said love's what makes his disciples distinctive. It's what sets his disciples apart. Is that evident in the way that we treat others? Things to think about from the Word of God. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. Get your songbooks and open to the song that Michael announced just a moment ago. Maybe you need to respond to the gospel. You've been studying, you've been reading, you've been learning about what it means to be a child of God. And you realize that you need to make that commitment this evening. I want to love God with all my heart. I believe in Jesus Christ. I will repent of my sin. I will confess his name. I will be baptized for the remission of my sin. That's what you need to do if you want to obey the gospel. Be baptized. That's the point at which an alien sinner comes into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever you need, won't you come all together we stand and while we sing. Beyond this land of toiling, so 